2: Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of
3: seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, Letby denies all of the charges over the incident.
2: Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse.
3: This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years, it involves the most shocking of crimes, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them.
1: Lucy Letby went on trial last week accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I'll be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheaton a
3: broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is The Trial of Lucy Letby. Welcome to Episode 2 of The Trial of Lucy Letby, the podcast which takes you behind the headlines of this case, which has caught the attention of people across the world. We're going to start this episode by heading out of the studio and into the Manchester rain to the Crown Court where this trial is taking place and where I'll be meeting my colleague, Liz Hull. It's Manchester, which means it is raining. Uh, we've managed to shelter, Liz, haven't we? Under it's a sort pouring of
1: pouring it down. It's not
3: just raining, it's pouring it down. We've managed to shelter. Liz, you've been here for a few days now. What might we have missed so far?
1: Uh, yeah, we mentioned in the last episode that this is going to take six months, this trial, which is pretty long. That's because, uh, Caroline, there are 22 charges relating to 17 alleged victims. So lots of doctors, experts, many of the parents of these babies will be giving evidence to. So we're going to bring you all the detail. And we should say that the reason we're doing this is because a court case like this is so detailed, so vast that there's no way a single news report or a broadcast piece can really contain all the information that we're going to hear over the course of the next six months. So we're here and we're going to try and fill in the gaps. So we know the prosecution opened its case
3: to the jury a few days ago and that opening statement from the prosecuting barrister, it took four days. And we should say at the start, shouldn't we, that a lot of the detail in this case is upsetting and distressing.
1: Yeah, it is, Caroline. The prosecution case essentially is that Lucy Letby allegedly murdered and harmed the babies over 12 months between June 2015 and June 2016. Now, in his opening address, Nick Johnson, KC, he said there was a poisoner at work at the hospital and that Lucy Letby was the constant malevolent presence when all the babies died or collapsed In other words, what he was saying was she's the common denominator on duty at the time these babies fell ill. And we should outline uh, the detail of how
3: she's alleged to have harmed these babies.
1: Yeah, some of this is distressing. She's accused of poisoning them or sabotaging their care by a variety of methods. Prosecutions say she injected some with insulin. Others had air pumped into their bloodstreams or into their stomachs. An air bubble, or what the doctors call an embolus, can be very dangerous because it can stop blood getting to vital organs. Similarly, air in the stomach or bowel of a baby is really dangerous in such tiny newborns because it inflates like a balloon, which means it pushes up the diaphragm, making breathing really difficult. And another
3: method the prosecution have outlined in this case, is that
1: Lucy Letby is accused of overfeeding them with fluid and sometimes with milk. Yeah, so these babies are really, really tiny, some of them, and they were being given minuscule amounts of milk, as little as 0.5 millilitres every two hours. So, you know, most of us have had children and have given them Calpol over the years. So that's the equivalent of a tenth of one of those spoons of Calpol. So tiny, tiny amounts. Uh, The prosecution say that Lucy Letby deliberately put too much milk or fluid into the feeding tubes in their noses. In another case, she's accused of dislodging a baby girl's breathing tube. In another, she's accused of physically assaulting a twin boy before he died. One of the features of this case is that the prosecution
3: alleged that she often carried out these attacks at night.
1: As nurses do, she worked a lot of night shifts and she is alleged to have begun attacking them at night when fewer staff were on duty on the unit and the parents were maybe not present because they'd gone home to rest. In fact, she was eventually moved off night shifts by her colleagues when they became suspicious before being moved off the ward completely in June 2016. We're going to get out of the cold, the wind's in the rain and get back into the studio.
3: So we're back in the studio, much drier and warmer, Liz. Let's talk more about what the jury has heard.
1: We've already heard a little bit from Ben Myers, who is leading Lucy Letby's defence case. He made a short opening statement where he said his client was adamant that she hadn't harmed any of the children in her care. He said she was a dedicated nurse who trained hard at Chester University to get her job and that she in no way wanted to harm any of the children that she looked after. He said the prosecution case was built on coincidence and assumption and said that the fact that Lucy Letby's presence at the time of each of the children's deterioration had become the explanation for the deterioration, even though there was no evidence to show that she caused it to happen. And Mr Myers also made much of the babies being small and vulnerable or, as he described it, on the cliff edge of life. And he said defence experts would disagree with how the prosecution say the babies died or were harmed. And I think he was also quite critical of the hospital itself, wasn't he? Yeah, he described the neonatal unit as being understaffed and overstretched and questioned, in fact, whether the Countess should have been looking after such tiny babies.
3: OK, so one of the most dramatic moments so far in the court case has been a post-it note. A yellow post-it note, this was found at Lucy Letby's home, During a police search, why was this such a big moment in in the case?
1: Yeah, this was a key moment, Caroline. The jury was shown the yellow scribbled post-it note on screens in the courtroom. It was found at her home in Chester. In the note, she describes herself as evil. The note also said, I did this, I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. She also wrote, I will never have children or marry or know what it's like to have a family. But she also had written, I haven't done anything wrong and I feel very alone and scared. OK, so there's no suggestion that she didn't write the note. So how did her barrister explain it? Yeah, Mr Myers said that the note was not a confession. He described it instead as the anguished outpouring of a young woman in fear and despair. He said she wrote it after being accused of killing the newborns that she'd really done her best to look after.
3: So that's the Crown's case. And the detail the jury have heard have led to some, I think it's fair to say, quite shocking headlines, Liz, from every paper. Just to give you a few examples, your headline in the mail was the baby poisoner. The son went with poison nurse killed seven babies and the Times used NHS nurse in the dock for murdering seven babies. And I think it's fair to say that Quite a lot of people on social media have been uncomfortable about some of those headlines. A lot of comments that say the reporting seems one-sided and seems to assume Lucy Letby is already guilty, which of course she isn't until the jury make their decision based on all the evidence. Well, we thought it was probably worth getting an expert in to help us with all of this. David Banks is on the phone. He's an expert in media law. And David, you've been trying to explain to people on social media how it all works when the media reports on a court case and why we see headlines like this.
2: In years gone by, court was the greatest show in town and large members of the public, numbers of members of the public would go to court and they'd see what was going on. Now we rely on media reports, of course, and people perhaps don't appreciate the kind of adversarial nature of, of court proceedings where prosecution have to prove the case beyond reasonable doubt against the defendant. And so the first days of, of a trial like this or any big criminal trial is all prosecution. And so that's all the media can report. And so the headlines reflect that. And it can seem that the media might be possibly taking sides or assuming guilt or anything like this. But if you read them carefully, they're always attributing what they're reporting to the prosecution that this is an allegations being made, this is a prosecution case, and there will be an indication in there that this is a continuing trial. You do get that, that brief opening statement from the Defence counsel, sort of giving an indication of what they might be saying around the, around the evidence. But the, but the procedure, you know, the jury and the public watching and listening and reading do have to wait sometimes some, quite some time until we get round to the defence case and any defence witnesses they might call and the other evidence that they might they might bring to the court. Of course, what you do get, the defence will cross-examine those witnesses, so they will be questioning the witnesses themselves, and, and so it's not entirely the prosecution that the, the, the jury and the public are hearing from. You do see and hear that, that cross-examination being reported as well.
0: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
3: I just think it's really worth pointing out with you as an expert on the line, actually, just How important, not just the judge and the jury and the barristers, but also us, members of the media, how much importance we place on a fair trial and making sure that we're all part of the process of making sure that our reporting is fair and doesn't cause any prejudice to the trial.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, if we were to report something that caused what they call substantial risk of serious prejudice, then we could be prosecuted for contempt of court. It's a really serious offence. So, yes, we we, we take that seriously. And, you know, although there there are attention-grabbing headlines, if you you read the coverage in its entirety, beneath the headline, behind that headline, you see a report which reflects what actually happened in court that day. It's not going to be verbatim in every single word that's said, but it is a fair account of what went on in court that day are part of that process and we do need to take that, that role very seriously.
1: Do you want to just explain how big the jury pool have ha- will have had to have been for this Lucy Letby case because they will have to sit for up to six months?
2: This case is unusual in that it's potentially going to be such a, such a long case it's, and obviously people arriving for jury service normally might expect sometimes they get told you might be here for a month, you might be here for a couple of weeks. But a lot of people they are expected to be able to find that amount of time to devote to jury service. Even though it might be inconvenient, it might it might be some, some hardship. But obviously, with a six month trial, then that's going to be quite different for a lot of people. A lot of people in employment, a lot of people self employed, it takes six months away to, to devote to jury. services. it's going to be quite hard. And so uh, I think this time they they called a large jury pool, so a large number of potential jurors, so that they could go through them and find
1: those for whom six months wasn't going to be an extraordinary hardship. I was just going to say it's it's worth pointing out as well that the jury will have been given kind of a detailed questionnaire about who's involved in the case and the names of the witnesses just to make sure there's no conflict of interest so that they don't know anyone involved or any of the police officers or any of uh, Lucy Letby's witnesses just so that the whole system can be fair and the trial can be conducted in like the proper way. What they did in this trial is at the beginning when Nick Johnson was delivering his opening statement, they select 14 jurors to listen to the opening. And then after he's delivered that, they're kind of the reserve jurors and they get rid of those too. And then they, when they begin with the evidence, they begin with 12 jurors proper. They're kind of the backups in case while they're listening to the opening, they realise, oh, no, I know that person or I know about this, and then they get rid of them. So they've done that in this case, but now they're down to 12.
3: One of the things um, in this case, David, which maybe you can explain whether this is unusual or not, is that the babies at the centre of these allegations are not going to be named. There are reporting restrictions, quite tight reporting restrictions on this case, aren't there at the moment?
2: The fundamental principle of the courts here in this country is that we have what they call open justice, where everyone gets named, the defendant, the witnesses, lawyers, everyone involved in the case. You know, a typical one is that you know, victims of sexual offences are given legal legal anonymity. It's unusual, though, to have adult witnesses in court granted anonymity. But in this case, an order has been made doing that. and that would lead to the identification of their parents. So it's an unusual situation. It's not unheard of, but it is quite unusual.
3: Just to to sort of recap on on those headlines we talked about at the beginning, David, based on, on the jury, the jury will see headlines like that, won't they? They're not being told not to, you know, read their newspaper or listen to the news at 10 or whatever, are they? You know, so is there an assumption that they will not be influenced in any way by media reporting?
2: Generally, the courts say that the daily coverage of the case is not something that is going to unduly influence the jury. What the jury are told not to do, and it is now a criminal offence, is to start doing internet research about the case.
1: David, just tell us about the run-in that I think that you had when you were a younger reporter.
2: It was a case. It was probably about very early in my career. It was probably the early nineties, I think. And it was a, it was an awful murder. And I'll we'll go into the kind of the, the details. But one particular piece of evidence that had come out was that the accused, the defendant, was alleged to have used a power drill in his attempt to dispose of the body of his victim. So I filed my report, and now at the time, this was the sort of late eighties, early nineties. phenomenon called video nasties. These were straight-to-video, cheap horror films that were being sold in in, uh, video stores. And one particular one was quite notorious, was a video involving a murderer who used a power drill. And the name of the film was Driller Killer. Anyway, we had a fairly excitable news desk on the paper I was working for, and they, recalling this, decided they were going to grab the readers' attention by running the headline, Driller Killer Horror, on my report. So that went out that afternoon and I went back to court and so to my sort of dismay, the defence team are on their feet waving a copy of my paper to <laughs> the judge complaining about this, this headline. <laughs> and the judge then, at that awful moment, turns to the press bench and says, is the reporter from the evening leader or today? And like all the press bench then turns straight to me. So I can't deny it. So I have, to, I have to confirm that yes, I am. And the judge says, well, you better go and call your editor because I might want him to come to court. I'm going to go and have a read of this. So the judge goes off to have a read of my paper, and I phone the desk and say, "Get ready, you might need to come to court." Anyway, went back. The judge came back after having probably had a cup of tea and a biscuit and a read of my uh, report, mm-hmm. and he said it was okay. He said it was all right. He said because under the, while the headline was was a little bit lurid, the report underneath makes it clear what part the. Drill played in the evidence, and he said. Furthermore, he said the jury have heard themselves what part the drill was meant to have played in the evidence, so they would they wouldn't be unduly influenced by this headline. So, big sigh of relief for myself and the editor, probably no doubt happy not to have to come to court
1: about that. And I think that's the key for any reporter, isn't it? That if you're writing a sentence and then you think, "Oh, this might be sensationalising it slightly," you have to think what have the jury heard? And have the jury heard that? And that's the way you temper your reports all the time. That's Mm -hmm. my first rule. And similarly, in that vein, I would say, you know, if if you're listening to a witness giving evidence, and the prosecution are questioning them, they're giving their evidence in chief, and then the defence barrister has a go, even if you don't think the defence barrister's made much of a point, it's very important for journalists to get both sides you've got to get at least something of what the defence is saying in your report for for balance
2: so important and and all too often what happens is you get you get a huge amount of coverage of the opening of case and then it diminishes as the as the evidence goes on and as the days go by and sometimes unfortunately papers don't give as much space to or even cover in as great detail the defence case it is really important to, yes, you know, you're like covering the cross-examination by the defence and getting some of the defence case so that the reader has got an idea in their head of why the jury might have reached the verdict that they did.
3: Amazing. Thank you, David, so yeah. much. Really appreciate
1: it. All right. Thanks so much. All the Join us next week when we'll be talking about the evidence presented to the jury on the first two alleged victims, Babies A and B as the prosecution continue their case. I'll be back in court as usual, and in the meantime, you can follow developments by reading my reports in the Mail and on MailPlus.